invite Rachel to read from Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. It's 1 John chapter 4, and we'll read from verses 7 to 12. 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Amen. Many of the claims of the Christian faith are fairly controversial. They have always been, in fact, but it seems that they are increasingly so in the Western world today on on the nature of truth and whether we can really know what is true or not. On ethics, how we should behave and who gets to decide. One idea that generally isn't hugely controversial, though, even in our own culture, is the idea that God if there is a God, according to our culture, is a God of love. Even folks who who would have no interest whatsoever in the God of the Bible may well like to conceive of a higher being who is loving. In fact, some of you might remember the talk that was given at a royal wedding a number of years ago by a man named Michael Curry, who spoke at length about love. If humanity ever captured the energy of love, he said, it would be the second time in history that we have discovered fire. 
And his talk was roundly praised as being inspirational and engaging, even by folks who had absolutely no interest in the Christian faith. Why? Well, because our culture loves love. And there's a sense in which Christians might rightly lean into our culture's resonance with the idea of a God of love. And in fact, we might lean into it ourselves. It's a wonderful thing as Christians to reflect on the fact that, as John writes, God is love. And that was part of Paul's prayer for the Christians in Ephesus, as Rachel read for us a few minutes ago. Paul prayed that Christians there would know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge love is a good thing but there can be a bit of a problem with talking about love generally and about God's love more specifically because it isn't always clear what people actually mean by love It isn't always clear what attribute we're ascribing to God when we say that God is love. Because love means different things for different people. For some people it's a feeling. It's a powerful and a positive feeling. But, well, sometimes it's only one that lasts for as long as it's reciprocated. It's one that we can fall into or fall out of at the drop of a hat. For others, being truly loved by someone requires that they only ever see the good in you. That's what love is. Love is effectively a set of rose-tinted glasses. And so whilst we might affirm the idea that God is a God of love, well, knowing what we mean when we talk about love, and particularly about God's love, well, it really matters If I understand it to be something that you might fall into and fall out of and and that only lasts as long as both parties are committed to it, then, well, when I hear that God is a God of love, that God loves me, what certainty for me or for you, for that matter, is there in the fact that God loves you? Because, well, frankly, I haven't loved God as I ought, even within the past week, and therefore he might well have fallen out of love with me. Or if instead I understand love to be the kind of rose-tinted glasses that only sees the best in people. I might have no problem believing that God loves me, but, well, he doesn't really love me. Not the real me. The whole me. Perhaps loves the social media version of me. The best kind of me. God's love is a wonderful thing. But what's it actually like? Well, that's why this second reading this evening is from 1 John chapter 4. And it's why love is our big theme for a communion service like this one. Because you see, we don't have to guess or to speculate to work out what God's love is like. John points to concrete historical evidence of God's love. That helps us to know what it's really like. 1 John chapter 4 verse 10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. But that he loved us. And sent his son. To be the propitiation. For our sins. And in that one short verse. We see that God's love for his people 
well, it explodes the categories of love that our culture clings to. It doesn't just last as long as it's reciprocated. Nor is it a set of rose-tinted specks which only sees the good in us. No, the love of God is seen in God the Father willingly, knowingly, sending his Son. Because he sent his Son not to people who loved him back, but to people who had rejected him. Who'd rejected his messages. Who had killed his messengers. People who had exchanged the truth of who he was and is and what he's really like for a lie. People who, as we saw this morning, were at war with him. And in fact, not only did he send his son into a world like that, into a world which hated him. He sent his son for a world like that as a propitiation in John's words or as an atoning sacrifice another translation has it see at Golgotha at the cross as God the father turned his face away from his son he turned towards us people who had rejected him who were guilty in his sight. And he loved us. Committed himself to us at such cost. What love it is that this holy, right and good God should give his only son to suffer and to die in the place of such as us. And so you see, as we gather around the table this evening... As we fix our eyes on the cross of Jesus Christ. Well may we marvel. At the extraordinary evidence. The extraordinary demonstration. Of God's love. Which knew us when we were his enemies. Which saw every rebellious and sinful thought. And deed even the darkest things in the deepest recesses of our hearts. And yet still loved us. God is love indeed. Let me lead us in prayer before we sing again. Our God and Father, we thank you and praise you for your extraordinary love. That though we as humanity and each of us as individuals were at war with you, had rebelled against you, had worshipped stuff, created things instead of you, you sent your son to bear your good and right and just anger over our rebellion against you. As an atoning sacrifice. We marvel. That you would love us like that. And as we take bread and wine in just a few minutes time. We worship you. Worship you in song. And worship you in the quiet of our own hearts.
We ask all of these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.